Hello again, everybody. This is Joseph Patrich, the director of the Wirth Institute for Austrian and Central European Studies, and I'd like to welcome you to the fifth podcast in our series, Exploring Central European History. We have started out in this series back in the 14th century, talking about the plague, and then we moved into the 16th century to talk about the little, little Ice Age. And I hope you remember we were in the medieval and early modern period for a while to talk about the marriage diplomacy of the Habsburgs. And then last week I talked a bit about the World's Fair in Vienna of 1873. So we're giving you kind of a mix of different topics and themes. And today I'd like to move later into the 19th and especially into the 20th century to talk a little bit about the famous cultural phenomenon of Sound of Music, the musical and the movie. I want to talk about its sources and particularly about the story of the one of the main characters, the so-called captain, uh, Georg von Trapp, the Austro-Hungarian naval hero, who is depicted in that film. I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that when I tell people that I study the Habsburgs, they often tell me about the Habsburg chin, the famous Habsburg chin. And they also tell me about all oh, the marriages that the Habsburgs were famous for. Well, I'll say when I tell people that I direct a center of Austrian studies, Almost universally, the first thing that comes to mind for people here in Canada or the U.S. is the sound of music. I think a few people maybe mention Adolf Hitler or maybe Sigmund Freud. Of course, I get the occasional Mozart. And for a while, I was even getting the occasional Arnold Schwarzenegger, though I think perhaps Arnie's ship has now sailed and he's not quite as famous as he once was. But when people in North America think about Austria, they tend to think about the sound of music. This cultural phenomenon, as I would call it, is not as well known in Europe, I think. In Austria, there are tourist agencies which will give you tours around the city of Salzburg, showing you the places associated with the movie, Uh, there have been some uh, exhibitions, I think, uh, around a little bit about uh, this story. But really, it's a much better known story in uh, North America, especially the U.S., than it is known in um, Europe, Germany or Austria. When I first began to be the director of the Worth Institute here in 2011, the local theater company in Edmonton, the Citadel Theater, put on a production of the Sound of Music, the Broadway musical version of the story. And I, along with our Austrian researcher at the time, Anna Windisch, put together a small exhibition about the family, the von Trapps, the family about which this movie, the story of this movie is based. I think a lot of people don't realize that the story is a true story in some ways. It's based upon a true story, at least. And there really were these, this singing family, mostly women, 
who traveled around the world, at least Europe and North America, singing a variety of different songs, Austrian folk songs, popular songs, of various kinds. Um, and we were able to see, and, and Ms. Vindish in particular helped find uh, sources to talk about uh, the visit that the Trapp family made here to Edmonton uh, when they were traveling in 1945. We found out about how they held a concert, a very well-received concert, uh, in, on October 23rd of 1945. So I want to point out that I think this podcast will be posted on October 21st. So this is almost the exact 75th anniversary of the time when Maria von Trapp and her daughters came to Edmonton with their composer, director, priest friend, Father Vosner, to give a concert here at the Empire Theater. This concert which we studied a little bit or found out a bit more about, was very well received. It was sponsored by the Women's Musical Club of Edmonton. It was part of their celebrity concert series that year. And um, Anna Vindish even found the program from that night. So we know what was sung by the Baroness von Trapp, as she's listed here, Dr. Wasner as the baritone and director and conductor, uh, and uh, the Baroness's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven daughters who were performing. I don't have time to go into it here, but it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, you get a little bit of it from the newspaper reports. Um, the family was already in Calgary and performing in southern Alberta, uh, but took the train up and there was a train derailment. And so they weren't able to get here on time and people had to wait and they were delayed in their performance. And also the father... Captain von Trapp, as he was known, or Baron von Trapp, as he's referred to uh, in the sources, uh, was ill, as he often was this stage of his life. Uh, he would die only a couple years later. Uh, he was ill, so he stayed with their six-year-old son, Johannes, down in Calgary, and only the daughters, uh, the conductor and uh, Maria, came up here to Edmonton to perform. But the Edmonton Journal Review says, Trap family singers give unique, delightful recital. Uh, another uh, paper reviewed it as Trap Family Singer Score Triumph here. Uh, the report continues, one of the most charming concerts ever heard here was that given at the Empire Theater Tuesday night by the Trap Family Singers in opening the regular subscription celebrity concert series sponsored by the Women's Musical Club. The Trap Family not only had that concert in October of 1945, the sons, by the way, weren't able to participate because they were both in the U.S. military at the time, the elder sons, uh, so they weren't here to sing in Edmonton. Uh, but Maria uh, came back later, when she was 73 years old, in 1978, to be the honorary chairperson of the Johann Strauss Ball, which began to be held in Edmonton each year. And I'm happy to report continues to be held in Edmonton each year as a fundraiser to send Alberta music students to Austria to study music. Maria von Trapp was here at the first ball in 1978, and the Balkan tradition continues in Edmonton to this very day. So who, what 
was this family? Who were these people? Uh, where did the story come from? I'd like to talk a little bit about the sources for the story of The Sound of Music and then focus in on the period before Maria von Trapp, basically, before Maria joins the family, uh, which happened in um, 1926 uh, when she became uh, part of the family as the um, nurse, basically, for one of the older daughters, the daughter Maria, who was 12 at the time, in 1926, uh, was ill and couldn't make the trip to school. So um, the father, Georg von Trapp, decided to hire uh, a trained school teacher, an orphan girl, uh, Maria Kuchera, um, who was working at the local Benedictine convent, the Nonberg, and she came, and that's the beginning of the story as far as uh, we know um, based upon the memoirs that she wrote after her husband died. After Georg passed away in 1947, the widowed Maria composed a volume of memoirs which was published in 1949 as The Story of the Trap Family Singers. It was a great hit, and here at the University of Alberta Library, we have a hard copy of the first edition. I'll make a note to put that on the website so you can find the citation for it. Uh, this was a very popular story that she wrote. It was actually about the story um, uh, longer than the story is shown in the uh, movie, The Sound of Music. The Sound of Music, as some of you, maybe many of you know, uh, takes the story from the time she uh, meets the family and uh, takes it up until uh, the time they leave Austria after or during the period of annexation by the German Empire in 1938. So we have um, a story that's only a piece of this memoir because the memoir goes on to talk about how they uh, go first to Sweden and then on to the United States uh, where they eventually settle, uh, set up a, a ski lodge and singing camp in Vermont and that's where uh, Georg dies and is buried. Uh, that's the um, part of the story that's not talked about in the movie or in the Broadway musical, the later part. But this story of the Trapp family singers was so popular that it came to the attention of the son of the famous producer of the Salzburg Festival, Max Reinhardt. Um, the son's name was Wolfgang. Uh, and he was given the rights by Maria to make a movie based upon this story that she had written about her life, uh, about her life after she, when she was in her early 20s and met um, the Trump family. A West German production company picked up this movie, produced two very popular uh, movies uh, based on it. The first one, Die Trapp Familie, was released in 1956. Uh, and then a second one, a sequel, came out in 1958. These West German films about the singing family came to the attention of U.S. producers, and the American director, Vincent Donahue, decided to turn this story into a musical. He thought that it was very appropriate for that kind of genre, and so they wrote and put together a musical based upon these films and of the memoirs of Maria von Trapp, which featured the American stage star Mary Martin and the Austrian-born actor Theodor Bickel. Uh, 
Now, many of you probably have heard of Theodor Bika, but not in his role as the Baron von Trapp, uh, which he premiered um, originally. But more famously, he was the gentleman who performed the role of Tevya in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Now, Martin went on to win a Tony Award for her performance as Maria von Trapp in the Broadway musical, which was very successful uh, and was known as The Sound of Music. And this Broadway musical, which was the last joint production of the composer Richard Rogers and the lyricist Oscar Hammerstein, premiered on Broadway at the Fontaine Theater on November 16th, 1959. Five years later, six years later, I guess, in 1965, it was made into the famous movie starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. And this is the famous film which won five Academy Awards, including the Best Picture, and is still considered by many people to be one of the most famous um, uh, movies of all time, or one of the best, I guess, movies are all of all of all time. I have to admit, when I was a kid, I saw it, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, this movie now has a kind of interesting second. Um, version, or the story has a second filmed version, because recently uh, another movie was made using the same story, or based upon a similar story. This is the film called The Von Trapp Family, A Life in Music, a joint German and Austrian production, which came out in 2015, and was based on the eldest daughter Agatha's memoirs which had been published, which were published a few years before that. Uh, Agatha Trapp had um, written her memoirs in 2003. They were published as uh, Before and After the Sound of Music, Memories Before and After the Sound of Music. Agatha had been 13 at the time when uh, Maria joined the family. She was the eldest daughter, so in some ways is the... uh, Example of uh, Lisa, the one of the character Liesel, one of the characters in the play or the musical and the movie, uh, and it's interesting to me to see the difference. I just watched this movie last night in preparation for for today's podcast, and here you get a better sense of who these seven kids were before Maria shows up. A little bit about the life between the time when uh, their mother uh, uh, Agnes died in. 1922, and when Maria showed up in 1926. And then also, they do a better job in this film, the more recent film, to talk about the period between uh, the marriage, uh, which happened when Maria was 21, uh, to Georg, who was 46 at the time. He had been born in 1880. Uh, between the, the story about what happened between that marriage and 1938, when the German troops marched in and um, the Trapp family had had to leave at that point. So if you, if you think about the Broadway play, the, the movie, it kind of telescopes or can tracks time from the time um, uh, when Maria first arrives in 1926 until the time when uh, the family leaves in 1938. So we have a 12-year period that's kind of mushed together in some ways. 
two things that happen that show up more or play a bigger role in the more recent movie are the birth of two more children. Maria has two children, the, her daughters, uh, Rosemarie and Eleonora. Uh, so the seven children of the movie become nine children, which somehow are missed in the, um, the way the film shows it. Um, and then actually... After they go to the United States, uh, Maria and Georg have one more child, a son, uh, Johannes, who was born in the United States in 1939. So in total, they have 10 children. Another thing that's missing uh, from both stories that I would maybe mention in passing is the role of this gentleman that I mentioned already who was here in Edmonton with the group uh, in 1945, and that's the man listed on the program as the baritone and conductor, uh, Franz Wassner, who was um, the family chaplain, I would say, and uh, also we don't see much of him in the story. Uh, in either version, the, either the 1960s version or the 2000 uh, version of the film, the film story. So what I want to spend more time on, though, is not so much the um, or the rest of my time. I don't want to spend so much on uh, this story, which you probably know, but a little bit about who was Georg von Trapp, uh, what was he doing, um, uh, what did he do before the family arrived, or before Maria arrived uh, in the family. I already mentioned that uh, Georg von Trapp was born uh, in 1880. He was born in Zadar, which was um, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time. If you remember from an earlier podcast, they acquired Dalmatia after the Congress of Vienna in the early 19th century, the Habsburgs did. So Zadar uh, was part of the Habsburg Empire. It's now part of Croatia. It's on the Croatian coast. It's actually a complicated place, and it plays a role in the complicated question of Georg's nationality, because while he was born an Austro-Hungarian in Zadar, in 1920, that part of the empire was given to the Kingdom of Italy, so theoretically he could have claimed Italian citizenship, and I think in some sources I've read he might have claimed it. But when people think of Austria, and they think of this story, they think of more Salzburg or Austria proper, the Republic of Austria today, and not so much um, uh, the Dalmatian coast, but that's where Georg von Trapp uh, was from. Uh, he went on to become a famous military figure in the Austro-Hungarian Navy. Uh, his father was ennobled, so they're from the service nobility. They're a minor noble family. Uh, and uh, he works his way up the ranks, uh, goes into the Navy. And already early in his career, when he's only uh, 20 years old, he is sent to help the Austrian, Austro-Hungarian Navy in the intervention, the multinational intervention against the various uprisings in China, which are known often as the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, this series of uprisings and difficulties for the uh, European and American and Japanese uh, in China led to a military intervention, uh, and the Austrians, the Austro-Hungarians, were involved in this military intervention. Uh, they sent a ship, they sent naval uh, troops, marines, and von Trapp, that is, the the um, Georg was given medals for his participation in this uh, campaign. 
this was a series of campaigns, some, some successful, some unsuccessful, uh, which resulted eventually in uh, the Allied troops uh, relieving the diplomatic quarter in Beijing. Um, and then coming out of that, the Austro-Hungarians were given, along with eight other countries, concessions in uh, China. The the uh, role of Trapp was a pretty significant one. He commanded a unit that was involved both in the failed Seymour expedition, which was early June trying to um, relieve the delegation in Beijing, and in the so-called Battle of the Taku Forts on June 17th. And in fact, for his uh, participation and successful participation in the Battle of the Taku Forts, which was, um, as I said, in June, the Russian Tsar actually gave him a medal. Uh, it's kind of ironic later because the British and the Russian Empire fought alongside each other against the Habsburgs, against the Austro-Hungarians during the First World War. But as a result of his military actions and uh, heroic behavior in the campaigns in the Boxer Rebellion, uh, Georg von Trapp uh, was awarded uh, a medal, uh, the Cross of St. Stanislav with crossed swords, if I remember right, the uh, official name of the military decoration which the Tsar gave to um, uh, Georg. Georg then went back. Uh, there, there was this small concession which the Habsburgs uh, had received after the the um, Boxer Rebellion. It's about 150 acres in the city of Tianjin uh, with about 30,000 people at it. This is what I mentioned in my previous uh, webcast or podcast as one of the only times the Habsburgs um, had these overseas possessions. Uh, I know that uh, I had discussed how in the 16th and 17th century they reached the pinnacle of their uh, empire, world empire. Now we have, um, uh, for a short period from 1901 to 1917, a period of Habsburg rule in China in a small section. And I understand some of the architecture in that neighborhood in Tianjin still recalls Austria or Europe. You can see today some of the physical remnants of that short period of the Austrian concession. Um, this didn't last very long after China declares war on Austria-Hungary in August of 1917. They occupy the concession in Tianjin. So it was only at about 16 years that uh, the Habsburgs ruled a small section of China. It could be said that the uh, Habsburgs had some other uh, colonial experiences, uh, international experiences. Uh, I, I know, for example, that Wolfgang Sauer has written about this. There's an entire um, uh, edition of the journal Austrian Studies that came out in 2012 dedicated to this idea of Austrian um, uh, overseas um, holdings. Also, some people have argued that uh, the military intervention in Bosnia, the occupation of Bosnia and Herzegovina in 1878, and then the uh, annexation of that territory in 1908, which played a significant role in the lead up to the First World War and the outbreak of the First World War, uh, are bo both could be considered or that process of um, incorporation of Bosnia into the empire could be also considered a colonial enterprise. But as far as overseas empires, uh, the Habsburgs in the 18th, 19th, and into the 20th century really only succeeded, if you want to put it that way, uh, by gaining this concession as a result of their intervention um, in 1900, uh, in which uh, Georg von Trapp played a role. Uh, there 
were other times, and we could talk maybe in a future podcast about some of these, the so-called Austrian East India Company or companies were set up, and the Habsburgs uh, claimed at various times in the 18th and 19th century islands off the west coast of India, the Nicobar Islands. They had some attempts to get connected to what's now Mozambique and the Maputo Bay area. A lot of business people, entrepreneurs in Trieste had ideas about connecting up through the Suez Canal, maybe down into uh, the Indian Ocean. Uh, There were attempts, I think, also in the mid-19th century to establish ties to the South Sudan. There were some connections with uh, the Socatra Islands on the Red Sea, which is now part of, these are part of Yemen, apparently. Uh, And of course, the most famous example, I guess, of a Habsburg overseas enterprise in the 19th century would be uh, the attempt by um, Kaiser Franz Josef's younger brother, Maximilian, to become emperor of Mexico, the short-lived second uh, Mexican empire from 1864 to 1867, when thousands of Austro-Hungarian volunteers accompanied the Habsburg Archduke to Mexico, um, an enterprise which, as you may or may not know, ended with the execution of Archduke Maximilian in 1867. Back to... um, the main figure in today's podcast, that is Georg von Trapp. Georg von Trapp then went on to, after he returned from military service abroad in China, uh, he apparently was very ambitious. This is a gentleman who took risks, who was very interested in uh, expanding his knowledge. He completed the military uh, aeronautics course in Vienna in 1904. Uh, This is very early in the development of military aeronautics, as you probably know. He went through torpedo training. He was given command of a torpedo vessel. He became very interested in submarine Uh, Submarine warfare and submarine technology was very important. Um, In fact, his first wife, Agnes, was the granddaughter and heiress of the inventor of, or one of the most important developers of the torpedo, uh, an English inventor named Robert Whitehead, who uh, developed this new technology, which was going to be very important for um, Georg Tropp, Georg von Tropp. Uh, He was going to become most famous, probably, for his early exploits in the First World War in the Unterseeboot 5, the U-boat number 5, which was launched in Rijeka, uh, now in Croatia, then part of Austria-Hungary, in 1909. Agnes Whitehead, actually, um, was the person, the woman who launched or was at the launching of this uh, U-boat. They had met each other apparently earlier, that is, Agnes and um, Georg, uh, and they went on to marry um, in 1911. Uh, the keel itself of this U-boat was actually laid in the United States by the famous Electric Boat Company in 1907 and was designed by the great submarine designer John Philip Holland. So it's a Holland-type submarine that was launched in 1909 that then um, Georg von Trapp would be given command of once war broke out in 1914. To really understand, I would say, the the 
campaigns and what he did as a military commander, as a U-boat commander, which made him famous and, and actually got him promoted up to the rank of um, lieutenant commander, not really captain, I would say. Uh, that's uh, kind of a confusing thing. His nickname was Captain, probably because um, in May of 1918, he was uh, promoted to Corvetten Kapitän. But as far as I understand it, if you follow the rank systems of the Royal Canadian Navy, uh, that would be more like a lieutenant commander. So two ranks below captain, but um, I don't know, maybe like uh, the standard polite uh, waiter at a cafe house in Vienna, uh, people tend to address you by ranks higher. He had a hereditary title because his father had been a military um, noble, and he was then considered to be a fon, fon trap, but he also um, had this Corvette and Capitan title, which maybe led to people calling him the captain, right? But when war broke out, uh, von Trapp was given command of U-4, uh, the submarine uh, that I just mentioned, and um, his family was moved away from the coast, from the military bases that could be attacked by the French or later the Italians or the British. Um, and that's where many of these children were born that show up as the seven children. Uh, the first baby was Rupert. He was born in 1911, so not long after they were married. Then came Agatha, who wrote these memoirs. Um, she was born in 1913. Maria, the sickly one that required the other Maria to come, was born in 1914. Uh, Vanna, 1915. Hedvig, 1917. So all of these uh, children were born during or right before uh, the war. Georg uh, went on, though, to have a dramatic success early on in the war. Uh, he became this military commander, as I said, uh, this naval commander, and actually, as another source I should mention to understand him, I would recommend the memoirs that he wrote in 1935. After some problems uh, after the war. He didn't have much success being an entrepreneur. He didn't have much success with his investments. He invested poor in a bank that went bankrupt, for example. Uh, he needed money. This is some of the backstory for why the family starts singing and Maria gets them, them singing. Uh, but also he writes his memoirs, which have been translated into English a few years ago by one of his granddaughters. Um, and it's called To the Last Salute, uh, memoirs of an Austrian U-boat commander. It came out in 2007, and I'll put a reference to that. That's available online, or that's available for purchase. Um, it is, uh, I think, actually an excellent source to see the war from his perspective, though it only goes up to the end of the war. It doesn't... So when he says last salute, he means the time when they bring down the flag, when they lower the Austro-Hungarian flag at the naval base um, in Kotor, which is uh, now in Montenegro, um, where he was stationed, where he was a submarine commander. But his famous uh, career as a submarine commander was based to a large extent upon two successes, two successful um, battles which he fought. One of them was very relatively early in the war, in April of 1915, when he, as he describes in his memoirs, snuck up on the French cruiser, the Leon Gambetta. 
The Leon Gambetta was sunk on 27th of April of 1915 with tremendous loss of life. Only 137 out of the 821 members of the crew survived. All of the um, uh, officers were killed in this. And it was was part of the attempt by the Austro-Hungarians to both stop the French from trying to resupply the Montenegrins, across um, the Adriatic there. The Montenegrins were fighting against the Austro-Hungarians, but also to disrupt the naval activities associated with the landings the Royal Navy and others were trying to organize in Gallipoli. Uh, a few months, a few weeks before, on 18th of March, the Allied fleet had tried to run the Straits of Dardanelles and were unsuccessful in doing so. So they began landing troops troops also from um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, in Gallipoli area on 25th of April. On the 27th of April, von Trapp is able to maneuver his submarine U-5 into a firing position at night uh, off the coast of Italy and sink the Leon Gambetta. This was major international news. Um, If you go to the newspapers as I did, you'll see that this is reported Days, only a few days later, uh, it's reported in the local newspapers in Vienna. It's reported in the um, uh, newspapers here in Canada, even. If you go to the Globe, in May, the Globe in Toronto, by April 29th, the front page story with a photograph of the ship is titled The Lost Leon Gambetta, French cruiser of 12,356 tons torpedoed by Austrian submarine. Um, page one story goes on to say French cruiser sunk 578 lives lost Leon Gambetta torpedoed by Austrian submarine U-5 at entrance of Otranto Canal on and on it goes Uh, the Austrian paper put it in front page two. I looked at the Neue Zeitung, an illustrated newspaper that published in Vienna, and they put it on their front page on October, on uh, April 29th as well. And in this story, we see that um, it gives a brief biography of him, discussing how he was a war hero. That is Georg von Trapp, how he was a war hero in China too. And this is where we know that he received the Stanislav Order with the swords from the Tsar of Russia for his. Um, his activities. Uh, it's pointed out that the rear admiral, the French rear admiral commanding the blockade troops, which were trying to keep the Austro-Hungarian navy out of the Mediterranean, was also killed in this battle. A few weeks later, a little bit later, the Italians join in the battle, join in the um, and declare war on Austria-Hungary. And the second major success for the Austro-Hungarian navy, led by the U-boat Five and um, uh, Georg von Trapp, was was in May, uh, I'm sorry, it was in August. The Italians declare war against Austria-Hungary in May. Uh, the submarine Naraida is sent over to Pelagosa Island to try to claim it for the Italians and get closer to Austria-Hungarian coast. And Trop responds by attacking in a sub-to-sub combat, in sub-to-sub combat, where the enemy Italian sub actually fires a torpedo first at them and misses, leading then Trop to be able to turn and bring them into the sites and and destroy them. Uh, Another episode that's depicted in his memoirs, and I would definitely recommend you look at this for these two events, which make von Trapp a military hero. He goes on in his career to command other submarines, um, 
the, Amer- the Austro-Hungarian Submarine Corps was very small. Uh, these submariners are a, li- are a band of their own, I think. Uh, he's most famous then later in his career in the war for his activities in 1917, where he sinks something like a dozen or 11 different merchant ships in the Mediterranean, including six British merchant ships. Uh, he becomes one of the scourges for the merchants in the, in the shipping in the Mediterranean, and then uh, develops this reputation as a war hero, which you say, see then depicted um, in the movie. I think with that, I'll end for tonight or for today's uh, podcast. But just to point out that when you see The Sound of Music, remember that it's based upon a real story. It is a real-life hero, naval hero, if you believe in such things, uh, this Georg von Trapp. He went off to marry, he went on to marry twice, right? First, Agnes Whitehead, the mother of the first seven children that Maria Kuchera comes in contact with in the story, then to have three more children with her uh, and have a colorful life uh, often plagued, apparently, in his later years, not only by his inability to succeed um, uh, economically, financially, and some bad business decisions which he made, but also by health concerns which um, plagued him, partly, they think, because of breathing problems from the poor ventilation in these little submarines that they had in the First World War, having to breathe in, breathe in gas fumes. It was so bad at times that they had to, that some of the... the um, crew would pass out when they were underwater because they wouldn't be able to breathe given the fumes from the engines. Uh, and it seems to have affected Georg von Trapp too. So uh, not only was he not able, for example, to participate in the singing and come to here to Edmonton in 1945 uh, because he was feeling ill, but he died then in um, uh, 1947, uh, is buried in Vermont, uh, and that was the occasion, as I said, for his widow, Maria, to write the memoirs, which then went on to become the basis for the famous Sound of Music. So I think with that, I'll leave you. We'll continue with the war and First World War next time when I'll talk about the internment of Austro-Hungarians by the Canadian authorities. Talk to you then. Bye.